Hey, it's Lisa Carlin from Attacking Third to tell you about the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. It's equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend. The Hyundai Santa Fe features available all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, plus available dual wireless charging pads, ensuring that you can take on any adventure. It's ski season, and with the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe, I can easily load the car with all my gear plus my friends in the third row and make it right to the base of the slopes with all-wheel drive. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to another episode of Attacking Third, a CBS Sports Soccer Podcast. I'm Sandra Herrera, lead NWSL writer for CBS Sports. Joined today, as always, by my colleague and co-host Lisa Roman, broadcaster and analyst for CBS Sports. On today's show, we have a news and notes episode to go through. There's been a lot of cool things happening around the world with soccer, and we just wanted to recap some of those things together. Before we take a deep dive into everything happening, a quick reminder that you can catch a live attacking third show at the NWSL Championship. That's right. Lisa and I are going to be in Audi Field in Washington, D.C. on October 29th. So before the NWSL final, join us for a live pregame show with special guests and analysis. We're going to talk about some news, Lisa. There's some cool things going on. We've got FIFA rankings. We've got some Ballon d'Or stuff to talk about. We've got all kinds of things. And, uh, you know, feeling a little congested, but I'm, I'm happy to be here. Like, as soon as I saw your face, I was like, okay, like, I'm feeling better already. I mean, I'm so glad to hear that. I'm sad that you're feeling a little bit under the weather. But, hey, the change of seasons, it happens. Um, I'm, like emotionally drained from all like the incredible sports things that are happening in Philadelphia. And I'm so blessed, but like Phillies, Phillies, man, giving me heart attacks in the bottom of the ninth last night against the Padres. I was like, what is happening? Like just throw strikes. You don't have to go over a hundred miles an hour over the plate every time, just throw strikes, get them in, in the strike zone and we'll move on. So Phillies won game one. We got game two this afternoon. Um, and then they bring it back to Philadelphia, on Friday, it's just like there's a lot happening. Luckily, the Eagles have a bye week this week. The oh. Philadelphia Union are playing FC Cincinnati on Thursday in MLS semifinals. Like there's just so much happening, and NWSL finals on top of it. It's like it never stops. The fun never stops. I love that you've got it all up here. You were like recapping all the Philly sports things going down. I love that. I love that for you. Sometimes you need a, a break from the sports with like a different sport. And then yeah. you just you just sort of balance. Well, that's it. Like my whole life just really revolves around sports. So either yeah. I'm talking about it with you or I'm broadcasting game or I'm going to be playing soccer. Like I play soccer all the time. My IM team that I play for in Philly, it's like a co-ed rec league. We are in our championship tonight. 
nine thirty. I think we kick off PM tonight. Um, so you know, that's also in my brain. I'm like, gotta get psyched up for the championship tonight, Lise. Um, and then yeah, I mean, baseball. It's baseball season right now. Red October. The city is buzzing because of it, and it's pretty cool. I love that. Uh, we gotta keep that same energy because. There's a ton of cool things for us to chat about here, and it's it's all dropping like within, you know, the NWL playoffs. So we've had our focus on that, right? So we've been talking a lot about the NWL postseason, you know, chatting with players ahead ahead of their their matches, and in between this, there's been like some cool things that have dropped, and we're just like, gosh, we really want to take the time to be able to chat about some of these things. So we're gonna do that on today's episode. Uh, we're gonna talk about the Ballon d'Or winner. We're going to talk about uh, FIFA rankings. That was something that we haven't uh, had a chance to uh, react to. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about NWSL uh, end of the year awards. We're excited to talk about the finalists there. So let's just uh, start at the top here. Let's keep it global, right? Let's talk about the Ballon d'Or winner back to back. Let me put respect on the name of Alexia Pudeas. Two years in a row winning this award. She finished ahead of Arsenal's Beth Mead and Chelsea's Sam Kerr. They both finished uh, second and third respectively, but uh, Pudeas walking away with her second uh, award here. Very, very cool things. Super huge. Uh, 28-year-old midfielder dealing with a bit of injury. So um, we didn't see her during the Euros this summer where where England went on to win it um, with a a ligament injury or something along those lines. But yeah, but but the the thing is, like, this award looks to the year prior, like the year that was before. Um, So so that's kind of how everything shook out there. In terms of the Americans, though, um, there was three – United States internationals nominated for this award. It was Katarina Macario, Alex Morgan, and Trinity Rodman. And they, they ultimately rank how everyone does in this. That's why we know that um, it, it was Beth Mead second, Sam Kerr third. And so uh, between the Americans, Katarina Macario ranked the highest at ninth in this award. Alex Morgan 13th and Trinity Rodman 18th. Um, so huge for Kat, who plays for Lyon right now in France. Um, well, not currently playing, dealing with a bit of an injury, that one, but um, she's on that team in France. So it, yeah, it's just, uh, I love this award. I love watching it and and seeing all these athletes dressed up, like hitting the red carpet. Like that's that's really fun for me. Yeah, that's a big deal. And it's like, it's relatively new still. Like this, the the, the, the yeah. Bologna for, for this it got launched in, in 2018 for women to be nominated and she is only Puteas has only won it twice but has won it twice in a short span of time so we're talking since like 2018 no other player has been able to go back to back I believe um out of Hedgeberg I think one and then Megan Rapino, and then there was a pause I believe for for the pandemic but um you know though this award hasn't been around for a long time to sort of win it back to back in such a short period, I think is, you know, I'll say I think it's very, very uh, impressive for, for And listen, I, we have been able to cover the games for, for FC Barcelona when it comes to things like Champions League and stuff like that. I remember last year with the women's ICC in Barcelona uh, participating, being able to go and watch uh, Barcelona live in person. And I just got to say, like, if, if you ever find yourself with the opportunity to watch Alexia Puteas play soccer 
please oh. do so. It is literally going to be a gift to yourself. It's going to be a gift to your own eyeballs. Just a fantastic, fantastic player. She's, um, I, I don't know if there's another more complete player right now in, in the world, even, even with, uh, you know, the 2022 sort of kind of cut in half. I think that's what was, was part of what was so devastating when her ACL injury sort of came you know, came to life. Uh, this it was just ahead of the Euros, and I think, um, you know, having that team that that Spain side sort of you know led by Puteas, I think a lot of folks were were looking for Spain to perhaps lift that Euro title. It just didn't end up shaking out that way with her sidelined. Yeah, it's truly devastating. But I mean, yeah, if you get the chance to watch her, just log on to the internet, watch her well, yeah. in person. Hi, that's like, yeah. Go yeah. in person. I mean, it's just magical to watch this this type of player play. It's like once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah, it was cool to see it. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, depending on her timeline of things, like if she, you know, makes it back to a, a certain amount with this, within a certain timeline, and is able to sort of get back out there and continue to to produce. Uh, you know, quite frankly, the way she was producing with Barcelona, I wouldn't be surprised if. Mm-hmm. potentially a third down the line, uh, you know, for her, she's, she's just had so much success um, with, with Barcelona, you know, just winning every league game, Spanish super cups, Copa de Reinas, you know, domestic trebles, um, you know, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll probably be talking about this player uh, around this time next year as well. Uh, but some other news that dropped uh, globally, while we were keeping our focus on the postseason is a new FIFA ranking. So while we were covering the United States women's national team during that international window, uh, new FIFA rankings have dropped and uh, it's, it's exciting time because of course everyone loves a ranking, right? Who doesn't love a ranking to where you could sort of, you know, drop your opinion on how you feel about one through 10, but in terms of the top 10, FIFA Women's World Rankings, United States staying at number one, number two, Sweden, number three, Germany, number four, England, number five, France, number six, Spain, number seven, Canada, number eight, Netherlands, number nine, Brazil, and number 10, Korea, DPR. Did any of this shock you at all, Lisa? I know this is all, it's it's all a very complicated mathematical equation that the, the FIFA rankings um, sort of kind of fluctuate, but it's because of that, you know, you got to try to keep it fair with the numbers, right? That's one aspect. And uh, that's probably why we don't see too much change too right. often. I think between, I think Canada's stood kind of at a standstill, I think at seven. Uh, yeah. So Spain jumped ahead of, of Canada. Spain was eight. So they jumped up to six in these rankings, um, which it, is a little bit interesting. Netherlands um, move a little bit too. So, so because of that, that's kind of how it shakes out, but really it's the top six teams that is what everyone should be circling that they really, really matter the most because the world cup draw for the women's world cup in Australia and New Zealand, the, the six seeded teams um, are the top six FIFA ranked teams. So that's the United States, Sweden, Germany, England, France, and Spain. So that's like the biggest change in this because Spain jumped ahead of Canada and and hits that number six spot. They now become a seeded team for the World Cup, which which probably helps them moving forward based on like how the draw plays out and how everything happens, which of 
also World Cup draw right around the corner, lest we not forget October 22nd, um, that's happening. But yeah, so that's probably like the biggest change and the biggest thing to note of this. Of course, the U.S. still at the top, uh, Sweden and Germany right at the top, two and three respectively. Um, yeah, excited to see how everything really plays out between these these nations. It's hard to believe that um, we're already going to be coming up on on the draw. Like Insane. just, just. I feel like we were just covering women's uh, CONCACAF championship. Mm. Quite frankly, it's it's wild sort of think how much time has has passed uh, already. But you know, folks are already going to be taking a a close eye at that. Like when that that was something that came you know sort of adjacent to this. Like once the ranking is dropped, it, it also sort of solidifies the the pots mm. right for for the draws that are going to be coming up. And I think everybody obviously is looking at that. That first pot that's going to have so many of these teams, obviously it's going to include the hosts as well. So the 2023 Women's World Cup hosted by Australia and New Zealand, they're included in pot one, A1, B1, United States, Sweden, Germany, England, France, and Spain, all within that first pot as well. Second pot, we're looking really strong as well. Canada, Netherlands, Brazil, Japan, Norway, Italy, China, Korea, Republic, and then pots three and four. Uh, with additional teams as well. I don't know. I think, I think, you know, look, once these rankings drop, Lisa, and I was thinking about the draw and just how some of these groups can shake out, mm-hmm. there might be more than one group of death, quite frankly. I think wow. this one, I think everyone always said that's like with, with the World Cup, you sort of look like who's, who's going to be the group of death. And I'm just like, I don't know. I think there might be more than one. I think there will be two, but I think the most important thing to look at if you're a U.S. fan um, is no Sweden in the group. So that's what's going to happen because Sweden and the United States have been in the same group for five consecutive Uh. World Cups because maybe like our kryptonite a little bit. I think that that honestly could help the United States. Yeah, but in terms of like group of death, it's anyone's game, right? Like we just saw the Euros this summer and the CONCACAF. Like we know how incredibly competitive women's football is becoming around the globe. And this World Cup is is huge and it's massive. Uh, Being in Australia and hosted by those two nations, I think that gives them a little bit of an edge. So if you're in a group with New Zealand and Australia, like uh, I'm sorry, they have the upper hand being at home, like playing where they are, knowing these stadiums, understanding the travel that goes between jumping between the, the two countries. Yeah, I'm just not even sure. I'm so excited for it. I am, too. I uh, I think it just it, it just sort of feels like when something like the draw happens and you've got the, you know, the different pots like in front of you, like it just sort of makes you it's it, you know, it's automatically one step closer right to to the World Cup. And it just sort of starts to feel more real as this type of stuff kind of goes by, you know, like we're watching these um, international windows that are occurring right mm-hmm. now, the United States closing out their calendar year against, um, you know, top 10 ranked teams, you know, already having that window against uh, England and Spain. They've got a couple of friendlies coming up against Germany in November to close out the 2022 calendar year there at that point, the draw will have already taken place, you know? So it's like, it's just, it's just a very exciting time. It's just like absolutely setting the stage for what's going to happen um, 
in, in, in 2023. And there's still some, some teams that are hoping to, you know, achieve their, their World Cup dreams, quite frankly. There are some national team programs that are going to look to sort of find a final spot or two within the 2023 uh, Women's World Cup. We see the intercontinental playoffs are going to come into play, interconfederation. So we've got uh, Portugal, Cameroon, Thailand in the Group A playoff. We've got Chile, Senegal, Haiti in the Group B playoff, Group C playoff, Chinese Taipei, uh, and uh, Papua New Guinea, Paraguay, and Panama. So uh, any of these teams yeah. can go ahead and, and still have like that final opportunity to make a push for the uh, 2023 uh, Women's World Cup. Let's let's have, let's have a little fun with it, Lisa. When you're looking at any of these teams, yeah. who's who's standing out for you? I know we well, look. We have Concacaf bias over here. We got them circled a little bit. We do. We do. I have Haiti and, and Panama circled a, a little bit on this one uh, when I look at these teams. But this tournament happening in New Zealand, um, February 17th, it kicks off. Uh, the biggest teams that I'm looking at, I mean, I, I think uh, Haiti. I'm, I've been really impressed with Haiti. And I know I've got CONCACAF bias there on that one. But this is a team that knows how to play and knows how, how to win and know how, knows how to score goals. Then being in a group with Chile and Senegal, I'm – I think that they could win this group, honestly. Like, I think that Haiti could come out on top in that group B. Um, Chinese Taipei, I, I was impressed with them, what what they were able to do. Now they're in a group with four because they've got Papua New Guinea, Paraguay, and Panama in that group. But, yeah, I mean, those are the ones that, that stand out to me. I, I would love to see another CONCACAF team push through, even just one, right? Two spots out of this intercontinental play-in tournament um, we'll, we'll get in. So what about you? Any teams that stand out in particular? Yeah, hundred percent. Haiti. I think we mm-hmm. being able to cover them, you know, kind of up close during, during July, I think it was a lot of, a lot of fun for us. It was refreshing to see this team. It was, uh, it was good, quite frankly, to sort of see their evolution, right? This is a, a team that has a number of young players on it, and they've been playing together for a very long time. We're talking about since their youth uh, program days and, they're now playing at this sort of senior international level and it's, it seems to be clicking at at the right time, right? This for folks looking at this, like maybe they have a a narrow view of this and saying, well, Oh, like it's an inter-confederation playoff. You didn't do well enough to solidify your place. Right. But this is a huge honor to still have uh, the opportunity to try to compete for a spot in the World Cup for your nation's program. And I love that Haiti is one of these teams that is involved in it. And so, yeah, of course, I've got them circled, uh, Panama as well. But, you know, we were also able to to cover um, the the Asian Cup, uh, you know, the mm-hmm. women's Cup here with, with the games that were on Paramount Plus. So being able to sort of watch these teams up close as well and have access to, to the matches that were taking place. I know I, I thought that maybe Thailand was going was gonna to be one of those teams to, to break through and go to another World Cup. But listen, that tournament was so intense. It came down to like the final <laughs> match days. Um, and, and Thailand has still has an opportunity here. Uh, but they really, really have to, uh, you know, sort of uh, lock it up because, you know, yeah. Cameroon and Portugal, that's a tough group right there. I think if I'm looking for just oh, yeah. this one, yes, Group C has the four teams, but I think Group A is has got a lot of really good yeah. teams there. Yeah. I mean, even Sandra, people in our chat right now, Sofia, fourth deconstruction, shouting out Portugal for Sofia and then Portugal and Cameroon as teams. Yeah. That's yeah. 
our the people watching live, they know group they of know, death. They know what I'm speaking. Group A, mm -hmm. that might be group of death there for the Inter-Confederation playoffs. So uh, we'll see. That's um, that's on the horizon right after right after the draw. So we're going to have the, the draw that takes place uh, this coming weekend on October 22nd. And then these matches are going to be uh, kicking things off early in 2023. I believe it's February 2023. So uh, we'll be keeping an eye on that for sure and uh, take a look at who are going to be the final team sort of slotting their way into the 2023 Women's World Cup. So that's going to be it for the uh, FIFA rankings and how things are, uh, you know, moving on with the buildup to 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's shift back and pivot back to uh, NWSL news here, Lisa. We have to chat about some end-of-the-year awards. So while the NWSL postseason is thrilling, the quarterfinals absolutely set the tone for what we're probably going to see throughout the remainder of the NWSL playoffs. What the other side of that, is that when it's the end of the regular season, as you're going into the postseason, you start getting a look at individual awards, right? So who are the nominees? What's up for grabs? And you have your staples, right? MVP is up for grabs. Defender of the year is up for grabs. Goalkeeper of the year. Rookie of the year. Coach of the year. Uh, so what we have now are finalists for each one. Voting has concluded. So I hate to break it to you. If you were unable to vote for any of the end of the year awards, I believe the deadline was October the 18th, just ahead of midnight. But these are the finalists. We wanted to show them some love and give them some respect for earning uh, nominations and, and being a finalist within these awards. Uh, let's start. Let's start at the top. Let's start with most valuable player MVP. Honors uh, finalists are listed as follows. We've got five in the category. Dabinia out of North Carolina Courage, Naomi Gurma, San Diego Wave FC, Alex Morgan also repping San Diego, Mal Pugh, Chicago Red Stars, and Sophia Smith for Portland Thorns. I Listen, I saw the finalists drop, Lisa. I said, this makes sense. Yeah, I said, yeah. this, is a good, this is a good five finalists. For MVP, I think you can make an argument for for any of these players, uh, quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, to sort of get um, MVP honors, anyone maybe kind of leading these five for you? Um, perhaps leading, like I, 
it's really tough because you have to look at like the overall play of this particular athlete as well as how their team did, right? Because if you're an MVP of a league, your team has to be doing so incredibly well. So like, um, I mean, Naomi Gurma being nominated for this rookie out of Stanford, like that is a huge accomplishment. I love that she's nominated. I think it's so well-deserved. I don't think Gurma is going to win there. It's just, she's, nominated for a number of other awards as well. So like, I just don't see her winning the MVP. Um, I I would love for like Dabinia to get this award. I think that she had a tremendous season with North Carolina, but the fact that North Carolina fell just short of making the postseason deters me a little bit from, from seeing that Dabinia win this one. Um, Honestly, I think Sophia Smith is, is up there for me as one of the top players who was incredibly consistent this year she developed uh, from Challenge Cup all the way until this postseason. Portland finished number two in the standings. Um, and then, of course, you've got Alex Morgan, your, your golden boot winner, and, and then Mallory Pugh, who's been on a tear. But when you – I think, like, Smith and Pugh are, like, similar style play, players um, in what they've been able to do this year. And I think Smith takes the cake a little bit over Pugh for me in this one. Um, but, I mean, golden boot winner, like, Alex Morgan can win yeah. it as well. I mean, that's true. You know, we've seen a trend sometimes in the past that the Golden Boot winner sort of walks away with MVP honors. I believe that's only twice in the league's history where that hasn't sort of shook out in that final way. I believe there was a year in 2018 where I believe Sam Kerr got Golden Boot and Lindsey Horan got MVP honors. And I believe last year was also different in that Hatch got Golden Boot honors and Jess Fishlock uh, won MVP honors. So I'm curious if there's going to be the bounce back to that, if somebody like Alex Morgan is going to walk away with Golden Boot and MVP honors. But I'm with you. I think you have to look at sort of a balanced season. You have to look at, uh, you know, the team and, and, and what's, who they're representing and, and where they sort of, uh, you know, landed sort of towards the end of the regular season. And I think in that case, you know, Morgan does have a little bit of an argument, but I'm with you and Sophia Smith and Mel Pugh, because I think you also want to look at like a balanced right. season as well, right? I think that's where Dabinia maybe falls off a little bit, like outstanding season. Mm-hmm that she was able to put together for North Carolina Courage. But a lot of what we saw at Dominion was towards that deep towards the end of that second half of the season, really kind of bringing that surge mm-hmm. later into the regular season where mm-hmm. somebody like Smith and a Pew and a Morgan, you can sort yep. of see their impact throughout the duration of the regular season. So I, I think it might come down to, to that trio. Uh, although, listen, I would love to see a, a defender <laughs> win MVP. I know. Love to see. I would love to see it. Um, I think Naomi Girma might have her um, might be a lock for a different award, which you know she's nominated for a few. It's not just MVP, Defender of the Year honors. Uh, finalists consist of Alana Cook, Naomi Girma, Sofia Huerta, Carson Pickett, and Becky Sauerbrunn. Lisa, listen, I'm just gonna put it out there. I, I, I want to see Defender of the Year. I want to see it go to a center back. I love outside backs. I love fullbacks. I think they're integral to the modern era of the game. But if you're getting nominated because of the assists that you're providing or the goals that you're scoring as a defender, that doesn't scream defender of the year honors for me. So I'm looking at Carson Pickett in this one to, or excuse me, I'm looking at Naomi Naomi Girma to walk away with this one over somebody like a Sofia Huerta or a Carson Pickett. How about you? 
I agree. I mean, I, I, I think we talked about this last year too. I know you and I personally have talked about this. A defender of the year um, shouldn't be someone that like has the most assists on a team. Like I want you as like a lockdown defender, yeah. like a one V one defender that no one gets by you. And I, Naomi Gurma, 100%, like this, she wins this award for me. It's, it's no competition. Um, the other defenders that are nominated where to pick it, cook sour run, like fantastic defenders. It's no shade towards them. This is, I mean, an incredibly competitive group, but when you look at the arc of this season and what Gurma was able to do, um, grow as her she's a rookie and she has solidified herself in Casey Stoney's backline as a team that expansion side made it to the playoffs made it past the quarterfinals like heading into what could be this the championship of this NWSL uh she's also about to be the United States starting center back moving forward it's it's Germa 100 like there's I'm sorry there's just no question about it in my mind I love that. You're like, no question about it in my mind. You gotta, you gotta add that that it's your, your opinion. But no, I, I'm with you. I had a feeling that you and I would both sort of feel similarly about um, you know, this award and who uh, we think it might go to. Uh, let's stick with sort of the defensive end of things. Let's look at goalkeeper of the year. Three nominees for this one compared to five nominees for MVP and defender of the year and rookie of the year. So for goalkeeper of the year, it's Ad French, Kaylin Sheridan, and Fallon. Tullis, Joy. So you've got Kansas City, San Diego, and the Rain representing for goalkeeper of the year here. I think these are all outstanding goalkeepers. I thought they each had integral roles to play for each of these teams throughout the year. But when I'm looking at a goalkeeper that really sort of came through clutch and quite frankly, made a name for themselves throughout this season, I'm looking at Fallon Tullis Joyce for the honor. I, I agree with you, Sandra, on this one. Um, it, it's really this one's really, really hard though because it, these three goalkeepers had tremendous years, tremendous years. Um, it, both French and Sheridan like made it past the quarterfinals with their teams respectively into the postseason and kept their teams in a lot of games. Uh, but I agree. I think Fallon Tellis Joyce all year has been constantly talked about. I mean, it, it's hard though because like. This one's really, really difficult for me because we knew we know that Sheridan and French are incredibly goalkeepers. Like uh, last year, we would have said that, yeah, they're great goalkeepers. I think French stepped it up this year and be and and became a little bit better of a goalkeeper than she was perhaps in years past. Sheridan coming off of a, a Olympic gold with Canada and um, internationally doing everything that she does. Like yes, of course she's she's good. She should be nominated for this. But I think that the best part about Fallon Tullis Joyce is that she, this was her first year in the NWSL. She played professionally before overseas, but came into this league started and played every single minute under Laura Harvey for, for OL rain. And they won the shield a lot due in part to Fallon Tullis Joyce. I give it to Fallon Tullis Joyce for sure. I do. Yeah. I think you can go back and take a look at sort of, um, you know, even something like goals conceded, mm-hmm. stuff like that, and that's kind of maybe more of a overall defensive shaped kind of statistic. But uh, I believe with with all right, I think it's maybe eighteen or nineteen goals conceded at this point compared to French and and, and their defense. Um, I think of conceding about like almost about around thirty or so. So it's uh, it's going to be tight. I think this one out of 
all of the uh, finalists, I think this is is, is going to be down to the wire. I think every vote is going to count, right? Kind of, kind of in, in this in this category. Um, let's take a look at, at rookie of the year. We're going back to, to five final or uh, three finalists as well for for this this role as well. It's Sam Coffey, Naomi Gurma, and Diana Ordonez in this category. Three rookies. Three big seasons. I would argue that any of these yeah. uh, players could have a, a strong argument for the role that they played on their teams, uh, how essential they were, quite frankly, in their positions for their teams. Um, but just when I thought, Lisa, that this was the year that there was going to be a defender is rookie of the year. I know. And Naomi Girma, Diana Ordonez just went ahead and did that. She just shattered a rookie record for most goals scored. I mean, eclipsed Rodman's uh, goal scoring record in 2021. And quite frankly, helped North Carolina make some noise during this second half of the season where they were making a playoff push. Um, but strong, strong candidates, I think, in, in, in yes. each of these players. Yes, strong candidates. I, I still think Gurma could honestly win this one. Yeah. And I echo everything that you just said about Ordonez because um, she did shatter goal-scoring rookie records in the NWSL. But it's so easy for people to look at that and say, yeah, let's. she deserves this. I think Sam Coffey could win this award flat out because this is a player okay. that that came in, developed herself in a brand new role at Penn State. Uh, um, she played higher up the field in the midfield. She was an attacking midfielder and Rian Wilkinson dropped her deeper. She filled in for Angela Salem, right? Like lest we not forget the role that Angela Salem played on this Portland Thorns team in the midfield. And after she retired last year, it was like, okay, Portland, how are they going to be without yeah. San- Salem in the midfield? Who's going to lock it down? And you get a rookie and Sam Coffey coming in and seamlessly having that transition be seen from Salem to Coffey. And and this is a player that broke into the U.S. senior national team, got consistent minutes under Vlako Anonofsky, and her play with Portland was fantastic this year. So, like, this is sometimes, like, opening the voting to – Um, just like regular fans, like gets me a little bit skewed because I want to like make a case for someone like Coffee who doesn't have crazy stats. It's not like, hey, she scored 12 this year or like someone like Gurma that, you know, like defensively like stopped so many goals because the defensive midfield role is such a silent role and Coffee played it silently, but that's exactly how it should be played. That's exactly how it should be. Oh, no, I'm with you 100%. I am. You know, I do know that the finalists, for for those of us who are part of the NWSL Media Association, uh, we do vote on on, on finalists. I was a, a little bit surprised um, that uh, you know, coffee did end up uh, on this category, not because I don't think she deserves it, be- just because of how strong the 2022 rookie yeah. class is, and because of the arguments that you just made, where you're just kind of like the player that does sort of the dirty work and is sort of maybe not getting all the attention because their name isn't getting called all the time, whether it's goal scoring and stuff like that um, can sometimes fall under the radar. So I was thrilled to see that she was listed 
as a finalist because of all those things uh, that you that you mentioned. But you know, I almost kind of like cheese. Like if there was ever a year to expand the finalists for rookie of the year, like this would have been the year who, uh, to do that because I'm, I'm like, you can make you have wanted, who else would you have wanted nominated for rookie of the year? That's not. Oh my God. Absolutely. Alex Loera. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I thought the year that Loera put together for Kansas city current was outstanding. I think there was a lot that was, we're talking about a lot that's asked of players positionally. You're looking, you, you made a great argument with Sam Coffey sort of taking her and, and where she played positionally in college and then sort of slotting her in, uh, in, in, in more of a defensive mini role for, for Portland. I think you're looking at a player like Loera and sort of seeing how she has had to sort of play lower kind of in the defensive back at times or pushed higher kind of in that defensive mid role, wherever they were slotting her in, she was, uh, you know, she was sort of going ahead and, and delivering in those things. And I mean, my God, I, we look at just this quarterfinal match alone. She was integral to that buildup in that game winning goal. So um, I absolutely think that Alex Loera had a case for, for rookie of the year. Yeah. I, I like that argument. Um, I understand why she's not nominated, though. Just I I think that the role that she played at Kansas City was incredibly vital for the current team and their success. But when you when you stack her up against someone like Germa or Donia's coffee, I think that these three outshine what she was able to do this year because she played such like a detailed role for Kansas City, whether she was in the center back, we saw her in the outside back, we saw her higher up the field. So like that versatility definitely uh, gives her a notch up over uh, these other rookies, but that because she was constantly moving around and playing different roles for Kansas city, she lacked a little bit of consistency in what she was able to do because there would be moments um, whether it was like a game or two games where it was like, Hey, like she's quiet. She's silent. Whereas I, I believe that every game that coffee played in Gurma played in and, and Ordonia's for the most part played in, it was, you always knew where they were. You always knew what was happening when they got on the ball or got near the ball. And, and for me, like Alex Luera, that didn't quite happen. Now, halfway through this season, I probably would have said, yeah, let's throw Luera on there. Let's throw yeah. Savannah DeMello on this list. But as the season goes and, and players come in and out, it's rookie of the year. You've got to be incredibly consistent, if not getting better and better and better by the end of the season. And with Coffee Germa and Ordonez, they got better and better and better as this year went on. I feel that a hundred, a hundred percent. I think that's a, probably the best sort of closing argument. I think for these three um, in in rookie of the year. Uh, let's take a look at maybe uh, the non-player awards. Sort of close things out. Coach of the year finalists are as follows: it's Laura Harvey, Matt Potter, and Casey Stoney with the honors finalist for 2022 NWSL Coach of the Year. I look. I I, I feel like this. Uh, year's finalists were some of the easiest to, to choose and vote for, quite frankly, in, in this award. I don't know how you look at uh, the continued success and legacy of, of Laura Harvey um, and ignore that. She absolutely mm-hmm. got a vote uh, out of me. Matt Potter, the turnaround that The Current have had this year, um, going from last place to now a semifinal appearance uh, for, for The for the current, I thought was huge. And Casey Stoney, obviously, right? First yeah. year in the league. Uh, playoff bound now also going to the semifinals as well. 
uh, that San Diego team never fell out of playoff contention throughout the duration of the regular season. I thought it was a no-brainer for these three as finalists in this category. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I think I don't think Laura Harvey's going to win it, not because she's not a great coach, but um, just stacked up against Potter and Stoney. I just don't think Harvey's going to win it. I mean, when you look at the the start of the year that OL Reign had, like they struggled. They really struggled to find the back of the net. It took a while for them to turn things around. And the comparison for Matt Potter to take this team that was uh, the last ranked team ending the year in 2021 and make them a playoff contender, um, like moving right along into the semifinal. I think Potter could definitely win this one. And I really like the looks of Casey Stoney winning this. As you said, an expansion side coming in, making differences and and changing things. But for me personally, I give my vote to Matt Potter on this one because when you look at the roster that he was handed at the start of this year, all the injuries that Kansas City faced um, and how he was able to utilize so many rookies on this Kansas City side to make them a great team and really, really play as a group of 11 on the pitch, right? Like you've got Elise Bennett, you've got Alex Luera, you've got Jenna Weinrunner. Like you have so many young, inexperienced players And to make a team that is so cohesive out of that is incredibly, incredibly impressive when you're without what would be your superstars in Sam Uis and Lynn Williams. Um, And and like Casey Stoney, right? Like obviously a great coach. Like these are all incredible coaches, but like she does have some superstars on her team. She's got big superstars on her team that I think help carry the load a little bit off of the the coaches back, right? You've got Kaylin Sheridan in goal, goal, nominated for goalkeeper of the year. You've got Naomi Gurma nominated for defender of the year, rookie of the year, MVP. You've got Alex Morgan, golden boot winner, nominated for um, MVP of the year. I think that when you have such a star-driven team, it, it takes a little bit of the shine away just from the coach. And it's not there. It's not Casey. No, I, I hear you. It's not Casey Stoney's fault, but I'm saying like Matt Potter has like. Uh, he's created such a team at Kansas City, so that's why I give my vote to him. No, I, I feel you. I think it's a it's a good case to make for for Potter. I think when you're looking at Harvey and Stoney, you can sort of have that similar argument, like you just mentioned, sort of having yeah. big stars with big experience and sort of, you know, uh, helping their head coaches navigate the seasons, right? Um, big time players who come up with big time moments. Um, and each of those coaches have that in, you know, Harvey and somebody like a Rapino or Stoney and somebody like a, like an Alex Morgan. Um, but I, looking at these three, I do wonder if Matt Potter is perhaps the dark horse of, of the three of them. Right. I, I think folks will maybe look at the hardware, the fact that Harvey, you know, is coming out of this season, no matter what, with a third NWSL shield with this rain franchise. You know, the fact that uh, Stoney is uh, doing what she did coming from, uh, you know, a, a women's super league that just uh, plays a bit differently and coming into this league and immediately, uh, you know, making adjustments to, to get her team situated and get familiarized with the very transitional play of NWSL. Um, it's tough to have, uh, you know, 
so many stars in your locker room and make sure that they're a cohesive unit. You know, yep. the, other, the other side of that argument is that that's no easy task either. Right. So I have a feeling Potter might be the dark horse of these three and it might come down to Harvey and Stoney. Um, but I think uh, I just can't overlook what, what Stoney has done with the San Diego this year uh, in light of also maybe having to navigate some injuries at times with, with players. Um, and I think what they, put together this year is very, very special. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if Stoney walks away with this one, but we'll see how they shake out. Like I said, uh, voting has concluded for these and we'll eventually start getting the winners. They will eventually tally these, uh, you know, total votes up and we'll start seeing the winners. I believe the voting is, is broken down uh, between players, coaches, um, media uh, and fans as well. Everyone sort of getting a certain percentage of the pie, I believe player and coaching votes weighing much heavier than uh, media and or fan votes. So we'll see. We'll see how everything kind of uh, uh, shakes out for the end of the year awards. Uh, and so as people are keeping an eye on those individual awards, it's off season for some other clubs already. In fact, only four teams are still in contention for the NWSL championship. So that means everybody else is navigating their official off season. And that means that for the first time in NWSL history, there is going to be NWSL free agency, exciting times for the league. And honestly, for the players, this was something that was uh, fought for within the new collective bargaining agreement between the league and the NWSL players association players who have met the eligibility requirement of, I believe it is six years of service within the league are now eligible to negotiate their contracts within free agency, but it wasn't without a little bit of discourse. Of course, it's the first year, right? Where free agency is introduced in the league. And so naturally there was a little bit of uh, pushback in terms of what actually qualifies, what contract actually qualifies free agency. There are certain players with six years of service who had contract options on their uh, player contracts. So there was some back and forth between EA, the league, ownership, arbitrary hearings had to take place on October 4th and October 6th. But guess what? They said, listen, the third party arbitrator said, listen, this is what was written and this is what stands and this is what it is moving forward. So now those 22 players who are a little bit up in the air about free agency are officially joined the full slate of players who can begin negotiations. Yes. And I think um, the like details of it, this is what happens when you write a CBA and you think you put all the details in there. I mean, we talked to PA executive uh, director, Megan Burke about this. And she was like, yeah, we we went through everything. We figured out the details, but there's always going to be loopholes. And, and that's really what it came down to. And it wasn't a matter of like days of free agency. It was a matter of months of free agency because those 22 players that had um, options to extend their contract through 2023. Um, they were not going to be eligible for free agency until November 15th. Uh, that's what the NWSL was saying for them. So the PA was arguing that the option needed to have been exercised prior to the start of free agency, which was late August. Otherwise, the, the player was a free agency. So um, before this, the clubs didn't have to decide until November 15th that they were going to use their Um, option or not for the player for the next year. So it turns out that all of these players are now free agents 
um, they, they've slotted into that. They, they kind of got what they got, what they wanted, right. In terms of, of winning this and everything like that. Um, so now 22 players joined the initial um, group given free agency. So there's a, a lengthy list of free agency players. You can find it on the NWSL website for sure. Um, but it, it's very exciting time for these players. Sandra. <laughs> Muted myself, y'all. I got so excited. Um, it's an exciting time, I think, for all these players because some of the names that drop, Lisa, it's like these are players who have had minimum of six years of playing time in the league. So these aren't players that people are are unfamiliar with. These are players who have been staples of their franchises, quite frankly. You know, you see, if you're watching us and joining us live on YouTube, you can sort of see the image here that we've got up, uh, just some of the names that stand out, Lauren Barnes, someone who's been with Oil Reign since the inaugural season of, of this league. Uh, players like uh, Danny Colaprico or Vanessa Bernardo, who have were drafted by the Red Stars and have been part of the Red Stars uh, franchise for some time. Um, big names, right? Players who have won uh, World Cups, you know, players like Morgan Gatra or Tobin Heath, who are, are listed on here. The um, Earth. Well, multiple years, uh, multi-leagues, quite frankly. Uh, Christine Sinclair, you know, the leading international goal scorer, um, you know, Canadian international, longtime Portland Thorns player, um, you know, on, on listed on this as well. Sophie Smith, you know, her Canadian compatriot, uh, currently playing with Houston Dash, also on this list, um, you know, as well. Other international players, somebody like a, a Jody Taylor, right? English international listed on here as well. So it's a, a lot of players listed on it. Um, and I am curious as to how uh, free agency will shake out. Uh, will a lot of these players ultimately, um, you know, negotiate directly with clubs that they have been a part of for a long time? Or, you know, what what will the market look like for, you know, some teams who are looking to sort of you know, boost up their rosters ahead of the 2023 season. It's going to be an exciting time for sure. It is very exciting for, especially for these players that um, now have the freedom of their lives and of their career professionally to, to make those decisions about what they want to do, go where they want, play where they want to play with who they want to play with. Um, and, for how much money they think they deserve. It's it's very exciting time. Um, finally, we're we're reaping so many of the benefits that the CBA provided for these players, and I'm really really excited for the off season to kind of see what happens with all of these free agents. We'll have to keep an eye on it, and we will. We we do our news and notes episodes as, as often as we can, sort of be able to fill in everybody and what is happening across the globe. Thanks everybody for joining us. That's all we've got today. Uh, a download, follow, and listen to Attacking Third wherever you get your podcast: Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave us a five star rating and review. That helps us out so much here at the pod. You can catch us too. Subscribe on YouTube.com slash attacking third to get alerts whenever we go live and make sure you get your tickets to the nwsl championship in washington dc and you can see us attack we'll be there for our live show we're so hyped about it and we'll be back with more coverage exclusive interviews with our nwsl playoff coverage on thursday go phil yeah go go, go phillies go everybody uh in, in philadelphia for lisa uh, for Sandra and I, at least a moment, this was
Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.